0: Most of us in this room, and by the way, let me just stop before I forget it. Welcome to all of you who are at Cross Point at Mill Creek. I was so pumped about the message, I forgot. We're glad that you're joining us today. Those of you who are watching us online too, those who will be watching on television, we're glad that you're here. We are one church, two locations. We have a campus about 20 miles north of us here. So whether you come to the Mill Creek or the Shiloh campus, I hope you'll visit one of us very soon. We, there are about 50 million people that have an app on their phone. Most of us do as well and it's known as the Bible app or what's called YouVersion. They share on that, we share over 70 million verses a year. Well, at the end of every year, they do a compilation. They actually keep up with all this and they give a list of what the most shared, texted, tweeted, bookmarked Facebook verses there were over the last year, the ones that were the most viral. And so we thought it would be kind of cool if we just took the top four verses and just investigated them and studied them and said, well, why did these go viral? What was it about these verses that was so appealing to people? And then really see if maybe they went viral for the right reason. So to catch you up, if you weren't here and you're curious, the fourth most shared verse of all the verses in the Bible was Joshua 1:9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was number four. The third viral verse was this one, Matthew 6:13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Certainly can understand why that would be a greatly shared verse. Then last week, we shared one that most of you probably wouldn't have thought about or guessed. A little verse out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 40:31: 31. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so we kind of dealt with those uh, verses over the last three weeks and, and, and really uh, understood why they were so shared, why they were so popular, and why they're so practical in our lives. But today, we're going to unveil the number one viral verse from the last year. And frankly, for as long as I can remember, even since I was a kid, I have seen this verse on more keychains and more t-shirts and more coffee mugs and more cell phone cases and even on tattooed bodies than any other verse I can remember. It really is one of the most popular verses of all of the hundreds of thousands of verses in the Bible. Now, here's what's going to really shock a lot of us this morning. The reason why I believe it is the number one verse, and the reason why I believe it is the most popular verse may possibly be be, be because it is one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misapplied verses in all of the Bible. Let me tell you why. When you first read this verse, you would think to yourself, now, if, there is ever been, if there's ever been a perfect name-it-and-claim-it verse, this has to be that verse. It, it, it is the ultimate positive thinking verse. This is the kind of verse that when you read it, it makes you want to go to the gym, lift weights, run a marathon, and even if you can't sing, try out for American Idol. Because you read this verse and you say, okay, I think I can do this. As a matter of fact... One well-known pastor that I won't call his name drew this conclusion from this verse. Here's what he said. He said, most people tend to magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings, but scripture makes it plain. And he was talking about this scripture. All things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It is possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It is possible to overcome that obstacle. It is possible to climb to new heights. It is possible to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will all take place. You may not have a plan, but all you have to know is that if God said you can, you can. Now, some of you may have already figured out what this verse is. And for those who haven't or those who were not in the room when we threw it up there, drum roll, please, because this is the number one viral verse, the verse that was looked at shared, hashtag, bookmarked, tweeted, and favorited more than any other verse in the Bible. I guarantee you, if you know anything about the Bible, you know this verse by heart. But in case you don't, if you want to find it, it's in a little book called Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's about, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 books past the Gospels. And it's right after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Right in there, it is Philippians chapter 4. And again, most of you don't even need the verse, but we'll throw it up there for those that don't. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See that verse everywhere. T-shirts, coffee mugs, tattoos, everywhere. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you can very easily see why this would be so popular, why it would be so quoted, why it would be so shared, why it would be so loved, because if you just kind of take that verse at face value, kind of isolate it from anything else, it appears to teach Nothing is impossible. No obstacle is insurmountable. You can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there are two problems with um, that thinking. First of all, the guy who wrote that, the man who wrote it, Paul, didn't even intend for the verse to be taken that way. Because Paul is not claiming that if you love Jesus, that you can turn into some kind of Superman. Paul was not teaching that if you love Jesus, you can leap tall buildings in a single bound. He was not teaching that you can dunk a basketball when you're 90 years old. He was not teaching that if your boat ever sinks, you can just walk on water. That is not what Paul was teaching. He was not saying nothing in life is impossible. Because let me just prove this to you. In case you think that's what the verse means, I want to show you right now there are some things in life that are absolutely, clearly impossible. For example, it is impossible to dribble a football. Okay? Check it out. You can't do it. Tell you something else. It's impossible to get bubble gum out of your hair. Here you go. Try it. Can't do it. It is impossible to barbecue pancakes. Try it. Won't work. You can't do it. (laughs) It is impossible to lift a bald-headed man by his hair. You can't do it. Try. Won't work. It is impossible to slam a revolving door. You can't do it. Won't work. It is impossible to twirl a baton in a mobile home. You can't do it. Won't work. Nope. Slam. Boom. Can't do that. And it is impossible to light gators and be right with God. You can't do it. Absolutely impossible. Now, if this verse doesn't mean what so many people have taken it to mean, that Now we got to ask a question. Well, pastor, if that's not what the verse means, what does it mean? Well, a good rule of thumb to remember, you probably have heard this many, many times when you study your Bible, is this. Never take a text out of context. Never take a text out of context. Always contextualize a text. And here's the good news. When we put this verse in its context, It doesn't lose any of its power. As a matter of fact, I think when we put this verse in its context and understand what Paul was really saying, it has even more power and still deserves to be maybe the most shared verse of all the verses, regardless of what you used to think that it meant. So let me kind of set up the context of this verse, and then you'll see what I mean. The book of Philippians was actually a letter that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Philippi which uh, the city, by the way, existed until about the middle of the 13th century AD. It was located in the country of Greece in a a region known as uh, Macedonia, and it was the very first church that Paul ever planted in that part of the country. Well, under his leadership, from all that we know, the church exploded. I mean, the church grew very rapidly, and it became a very, very healthy church. And in, in, in gratitude for what Paul had done, the church would often send him money. They would send him financial support to help him in his ministry as he was going about preaching the gospel and planting churches in other places. As a matter of fact, that's actually what Paul is referring to as we begin this passage of Scripture back in verse 10. Because listen to what Paul says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Remember now, this is a letter that he wrote. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. Now, there's, they're concerned for him, and you're going to find out why in just a moment. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. This was a sweet church. They loved Paul. They were so grateful for what Paul had done for them. And every time they, they, they thought about Paul and prayed for Paul, many times they would take up a love offering and they would send Paul money. So in, 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 in reality, this church was kind of like a lifeline for Paul's ministry. It was kind of like a real great resource for his ministry. But they're really concerned about him. Well, why are they concerned? Because when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He wasn't on the beach. He wasn't lying in a hammock. He wasn't just chilling out. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He's not even sure as he writes this letter, he's even going to live. So technically, Paul is not doing very well at all. Now let me just stop. If Paul could do anything through Christ, then he could just walk out of that jail. If Paul could do anything through Christ, he could just simply say, let me go and they would have let him go. And Paul could have walked out of that prison and given himself the high five of life. Yet, when you read the next two verses, then verse 13 becomes very clear in its meaning. Listen to what he says. Just before he says verse 13, he wrote these words. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He said, in other words, I'm not writing you because I'm whining or complaining. I'm not writing you to feel sorry for me. I'm not even asking for money. Understand, not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, everybody say that word, content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now Paul said, the reason why I'm writing you is this. I've learned a secret, and I want to share that secret with you. I have learned the secret of satisfaction in any situation. Now, remember, Paul's not writing the Philippians to tell them how to get out of any situation. He's writing them to tell them how to be satisfied in any situation. See, this is a secret so many people need to learn. There are marriages falling apart right now. You know why? People are dissatisfied. There, 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 are, there, there are, are, are millions of people right now under huge credit card debt. Their finances are in a wreck. You know why? They're dissatisfied. Let me tell you, I've been to New York City. I've seen it with my own eyes. There are advertising executives on Madison Avenue and Wall Street. They're making big bucks. They are driving Mercedes and BMWs. They live in Manhattan penthouses. You know why? Because they've learned how to do two things. Make sure that we are dissatisfied with what we have and make sure that we want more than we already have, or that we've already already got. And they're making a killing off of us because they're teaching us, why do you think they spend all this money on advertising? Because they want you to say, I need that. I want that. We gotta buy that. We gotta have that. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I'm not content with where I am. And Paul had learned two words that unlock the secret to satisfaction. And those two words are through Him. I can do all things through Him who strengthens. Me. And you see, Philippians 4, 13 is not about the ability to succeed. It's not It's if not, Paul was talking about how do you soar higher, how can you climb the corporate ladder, how can you make more money, how can you break through a barrier, how can you finish a race, how can you win a game. I'm not saying those things are not important. I'm not saying those are not goals to have. That is not what Paul was talking about. As a matter of fact, he was talking about just the opposite. What Paul was saying was, the only real source of satisfaction is Jesus. And you need to learn that. You need to get that down in your mind. If you live to be 120, if you try to find satisfaction in anything, anywhere other than Jesus, you're never, ever going to be totally satisfied. But Paul said, I have learned, when you understand who you are in Jesus, when you understand what you have in Jesus, when you understand where you stand in Jesus, You can be totally satisfied, listen, regardless of your circumstances. Doesn't matter where you are or where you're not. Doesn't matter what you've got or what you don't. Paul said it's irrelevant. When you understand who he is, you understand who you are, and you understand what you have in him, you can be totally satisfied. So you can sum up this entire passage in a statement that John Piper made when he said this. John Piper said, Jesus is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. Now what I want to do is I want to kind of flip that on its ear. I want to kind of turn that statement around. And I want to make this what I want you to take out the door this morning. This is what Paul is really telling us. I should be totally satisfied when Jesus is most glorified in me. I should be totally satisfied when Jesus is most glorified in me. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul does give us three tremendous lessons that, you, that will help us unlock the secret to total satisfaction and complete contentment. And by the way, if you're here today and you're in this category, you're frustrated, you're not happy, you're not satisfied, You don't like the house you live in. You don't like the car you drive. You don't like the clothes you wear. You don't like the job you have. You don't like the marriage you're in. Paul says, do I ever have a word for you? Three lessons, real quick. Number one, Paul says contentment is a lesson you can learn. Contentment is a lesson that you can learn. Now let's go back to what he says in verse 11. I find this to be amazing. Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need. This is amazing to me. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Now, that, kind of, made, that that's kind of that's so interesting. Paul is saying to us, total satisfaction, complete contentment is something you can learn. Contentment is an acquired skill. You can actually learn how to be satisfied. Now, you say, well, why do you have to learn to be satisfied? I'll tell you why because we were all born dissatisfied. You ever thought about that? Uh, my daughter-in-law is gonna be induced tonight. I'm gonna have a new grandson either tonight or tomorrow. He's coming either tonight or tomorrow. Now, you, you think about this. How do babies come out of the womb? Somebody tell me. Crying, right? They come out of the womb crying. Well, why do they come out of the room crying? Well, think about it. Before they came out of the womb, they were totally happy. They were totally satisfied. They're in the warm womb with their mother. It's always dark. They slept all the time. They got all the food they wanted. Nobody bothered them. They didn't have to pay taxes. They didn't have to go to work. And all of a sudden, they come into this world, and there's bright lights, and there's chaos, and there are loud voices, and they are unhappy, and they're going to let you know it born dissatisfied, already born malcontent. And one of the reasons why God allows us to go through the ups and downs and the good times and the bad times and having a lot and having a little is to teach us how to be totally satisfied in every conceivable situation. There was a very successful businessman in He was burning the midnight oil. He was going from dust to dark. He was busting it, trying to make more and more money. And he was just literally burned out on life. And so he decided he would go to a monastery and just kind of get away for a few days and try to kind of recharge his batteries. So as he checked in, the the monk uh, took him to his little simple one one room, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, one uh, room there and where he was going to be sleeping was just a little bedroom and it had a bunk bed. It had a blanket. It had a sink and it had no windows. And he led him to that room. And he said, do you have any questions? And the man said, well, I I guess not. Is this where I'm staying? He said, yes. And then the monk said, now look, I hope you have a very blessed stay. And oh, by the way, if you need anything at all, you just let us know and we'll teach you how to get along without it. (laughs) You see, Teresa and I, I thought about this the other day. We, we, we had to learn this lesson after we got married. When, when we, when, we Teresa and I only been married a few months. And uh, we packed up every, what little we had. We moved to Louisville, Kentucky to Southern Seminary. We settled into an apartment. I was say about this the other day. You could probably put that entire apartment in two-thirds of this stage. I, I'm not even sure it would take up two-thirds. It might even take up only half this stage. I mean, it was, let me tell you how small this apartment was. When you walked into our apartment, uh, there, there was on one side you had, the, you had the sink and you had the stove and you had the refrigerator on one side, a little bit of refrigerator. On the other side you had the little bar where you would sit at a stool and eat. And the passageway between those two was only about this wide. So here's how small it was. If I walked into the apartment from class and she was fixing dinner, she had to back into the living room so I could get into my apartment. Okay, that's that's how small it was. Or if she was coming out and I was coming in, I had to back out and let her out. I mean, it was super, super, super small. So, I mean, just real, real narrow. Uh, The living room. The living room was about twice, maybe twice the size of this platform. The living room. That's the only other room there was other than we had a little bathroom. And then the bedroom was so small that our double bed was pushed all the way over against the wall. And there was a little bitty passageway for me to get in. So I always had to make sure she could get in the bed first or she couldn't sleep. So, you know, just couldn't get, uh, I- I- you know, in the bed. Well, I just had back surgery. Couldn't work. So she was having to make all the money. All I could do is go to class. And so she was a, a legal secretary making $100 a week. That's all she was making, you know, back then, which really even back then wasn't a whole lot of money. And, and things were so tight. We would have one date night a month. And on our one date night, we went to White Castle. That, that was our, our date night. We'd go to White Castle because that's all that we could afford. But you know what I'm about to tell you? Some of the happiest days of our life were spent in that little apartment. Some of the sweetest, most contented times in our life were spent right there. You know what? You can't miss what you don't have. And what, you say, well, you didn't have a lot. Oh, no, we did. We had Jesus in each other which is all you're gonna wind up with when you get to the end of the road anyway. We had Jesus in each other. We were so happy, we were so content, we were so satisfied. Listen, even though we lived just a few blocks from some of the most expensive homes in Louisville, Kentucky, there wasn't anybody in that whole city that was more happy and more satisfied and more content than we were. See, here's what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to learn from what Paul said. Sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, satisfaction and contentment is just a matter of perspective. You don't find satisfaction in what you have or what you don't have. You don't find satisfaction where you are or where you're not. You find satisfaction in the way you look at it. Let me give you a great illustration. There was a man by the name of Will. Will owned a farm in Minnesota. And uh, so one day there was a knock on his door and, and it was a surveyor. And he said, Sir, I'm a surveyor. I'm here with the government. And he said, I've been surveying your property. And I've got some really bad news for you, and I, I've just got to tell you about it. And the man said, oh, great. Well, well, come on in. And he sat down, and he said, well, what's the bad news? And he said, well, I don't know. He said, how long have you lived here? He said, i lived here 27 years. He said, well, I don't know how to tell you this. But, sir, your farm actually isn't in Minnesota. It's actually in Wisconsin. The farmer jumped up and said, that's the best news I've heard since I've lived here. He said, well, why is that? He said, I had just told my wife the other day, I don't think I can take another winter in Minnesota. (laughs) Now, it's all a matter of perspective. It's all in how you look at it. And Paul said, you can learn to be satisfied in any situation because you can do all things that require satisfaction through Christ who strengthens you. So you're sitting there and you're saying, I can't be satisfied with where I am. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Or I, I can't. I just cannot be satisfied if I don't get that car, if I don't buy this bigger house, if I don't spend that money, I won't be satisfied. Yes, you can, because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Hey, let me just give you another new another newsflash. If you don't learn how to be totally satisfied with where you are today and what you have today, you will never be satisfied with where you go and what you have tomorrow. I'm going to say that again. That's so good. If I do say so myself. Next week, I'll preach on humility. Listen, if you don't learn how to be totally satisfied with where you are today and what you have today, you will never be satisfied with where you go and what you have tomorrow. Listen, there was a 14-year-old boy. This, this amazed me. His name's Jason Lehman. He's 14 years old. He wrote what I am about to read to you. Now, where this young man got this wisdom and this foresight, all I can figure out is it must have come from his observation of so many dissatisfied people out there in the world. He wrote these words. He entitled the words, present tense. 14 years old. Listen to what he wrote. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves, the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged. But it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. How many people live a life of complete dissatisfaction all their life, frustration all their life, discontent all their life, because they've never learned this secret. This young man had such brilliant insight. You see, the reason why we're never satisfied with the next thing is because we've never learned to be satisfied with the present thing. And if you can't learn to be satisfied with today, then listen, no matter where what you get, no matter where you go, you won't be satisfied with tomorrow. So you say, well, what do you do? I'll tell you one of the best things you can do. Just stop and just take inventory of where you are right now. Just stop and take inventory of what you've got today. And every day, if you're really right with God, and if you really believe what Paul is saying is true, every day you can say, Lord, through you just for today, I'm not going to gripe, I'm not going to whine, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to be jealous over what somebody else has, I'm not going to be mis- discontent over what I don't have. I want to be satisfied with where I am and what I have. I read a story that blessed me the other day so much. There was this man, and he, and he got dissatisfied with his farm. He just, for, you know, charged to find fault with his farm, and he decided he wanted a bigger farm. He wanted a better farm. So he decided to put it on the market. So he turned it over to a real estate salesman, and the real estate salesman wrote up a description of the farm, and he said, uh, listen, uh, came, we uh, went back to this farmer's house, and he said, now before I put this on the market, he said, do you mind if I, if I read this to you and see if you like the, the, what I'm going to put in the paper? He said, Sure. Here's what he wrote, beautiful farm for sale, 250 acres of rolling hills, fertile valleys, quiet streams, the climate is excellent year round. The land is fertile for any crop, beautiful two-story house, three barns in excellent condition, situated in a fantastic neighborhood. The farmer said, read that back to me one more time. And he did, and the man said, take that off the market. I've been looking for a place like that all my life. Now, listen, contentment is a lesson you can learn. Be satisfied with where you are now, what you have now, because can I tell you this? Wherever you are right now is where God wants you. may not be where He wants you tomorrow, but it's where He wants you today. What you have now is what God wants you to have now. may not be what He wants you to have tomorrow, but it's what He wants you to have today. It is a lesson you can learn. Second thing Paul says, Contentment is a life that you can live. It's not just a lesson you can learn. It is a life that you can live. Now listen to what he says in verse 12. Watch this. Now listen. Paul says, look, I'm not talking theory here. I'm, I'm living this stuff. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's not talking theory. Paul's not talking hypothesis. Paul is talking Fact. Listen, Paul said Paul had lived a life of satisfaction and contentment in the most difficult of circumstances. And Paul just made a very simple decision. He said, You know what? I have made up my mind. I'm just going to be satisfied with who I am. I'm going to be satisfied with where I am. I'm going to be satisfied with what I have or what I don't have. Now, let me just stop. You're sitting there thinking right now, well, Maybe Paul could do that going through what he went through. But he's not in my situation. He's not dealing with what I'm dealing with. Can I just submit to you with all respect? In the worst day of your life, you've never gone through what that man went through. In the worst day of your life, you've never had to put up with what he had to put up with. Can I just give you just a little small list? Paul spent almost as much time in prison as he did out of it. He had a contract put out on his life. Five times he was beaten with a whip and given 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, I mean with rocks. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one of those times he spent a night and a day in water. He was rejected by his own countrymen, the Jews. He was persecuted by the Gentiles he was trying to reach for the gospel. He was often without food, without friends, without family, without finances, without freedom, and without fellowship. And yet Paul said in every one of those situations, I've learned how to be totally satisfied. The man never owned a home. He never had a car. He maybe had at most two changes of clothes at at one time. He owned one pair of sandals. He had no degrees on his wall. He had no medals pinned to his chest. He had no wife to comfort him when he was sad. And yet, Paul said, it just doesn't matter to me. I don't care if I'm sleeping on a silk sheet or a burlap sack. I've learned to be content. I have learned to be satisfied with the life that I live. Now, let me just warn you. I just want to kind of give you a little advance warning. The greatest teacher of satisfaction and the greatest lesson you'll learn is not in prosperity. It's in adversity. That's how you're going to learn to be satisfied. Matter of fact, this is something I didn't know until I was studying for this sermon. Biologists tell us now and and anthropologists tell us now that there is a phenomenon in nature called the adversity principle. i would never heard of it before. But there's this phenomenon called the adversity principle and and it's, it's real simple. This is the principle that difficult times and hard times are more beneficial to plants and animals than easy living. And biologists now tell us it's just simply not healthy for animals or for plants to go through life without facing hardship or difficulty. For example, we all know this. That's why many times animals die in captivity. They weren't meant to be fed uh, 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 on their own. They weren't meant to ha- not have to fight for survival. They were meant to live in the wild. That's why a lot of them never make it. It's the adversity principle. I'll give you another illustration. If you've ever been to a rainforest, I've been to a rainforest before, many, may, perhaps you have. If you've ever go to a rainforest, you know that water is everywhere. That's why they call it a rainforest. Well, what you may not know is because the trees have all the water that they need all the time, their roots don't sink very deep into the ground just a few feet. That's why in a rainforest, even the slightest windstorm can knock any of them down. But you take that same tree out of that rainforest, and you plant that tree out in the desert, guess what happens? It has to go deep with its roots. And a desert tree can withstand even the force of a hurricane. Why? It's the adversity principle. When you got to fight for water, it makes you stronger. When you got to dig for water, it makes you stronger. When you've got to stand up to the hard things of life, it makes you stronger. And what Paul is saying is, if you will sink your roots into Jesus, you can have a life of total satisfaction. See, here, here's the bottom line. Let me tell you why most of us battle discontent. Let me tell you why most of us battle dissatisfaction. Let me tell you why a lot of us whine when we ought to be thankful for what we've got. If Jesus means more to you than anything else, and if you love Jesus more than you love anything else, then you can be content if you have Jesus and nothing else. If you love Jesus more than you love anything else, and if he means more to you than anything else, then if you've got Jesus and nothing else, then you can be absolutely content in him. You can be content in any location or any situation because of your relationship to Jesus. See, that's why you can praise God when things are good and you can praise God when things are bad. You can praise God when it's going right and you can praise God when it's going wrong. And that's why the good times should never increase your joy and the bad times should never decrease your joy because every time you praise God and every time you thank God, you're giving your praise to a God who's always with you you're giving praise to a God who will always give you what you need. You're giving praise to a God who says, I'll always accomplish my purpose in your life. If your joy is found in a Savior that will never leave you nor forsake you, then you can live a life of total satisfaction. So Paul says, hey, you know what? Contentment, it's a lesson you can learn. Contentment, it's a life you can live. I've lived it. I know it. I do it every day. You, may, you When you come to me, you, you can find me in a prison. Or find me in a palace. You can find me under a burden or you can find me on a beach. Doesn't matter. One thing you'll find, I don't whine, I don't gripe, I don't complain. I've learned to be satisfied. It's a lesson you can learn. It's a life that you live. And here's the last thing. Contentment comes from a Lord that you should love. Now, let's go to this verse. Now we understand what Paul said. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No, all things doesn't mean you need to go on American Idol tomorrow if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. All things doesn't mean that you can do brain surgery tomorrow if you've never been to medical school. All things doesn't mean that if you want that million dollar home, you can have it. That is not what that means. All things mean I can be satisfied in all locations. I can be satisfied in all situations through him who strengthens me. And the key is the word strengthen. That's a beautiful word. That word strengthen is a medical term. And, And it actually literally refers to a blood transfusion. It means to take something and transfuse it into someone else. And here's what Paul was saying. When you become a follower of Jesus, listen, this is so good. When you become a follower of Jesus, you you don't just live your life for him. He lives his life through you. You don't just live your life for him. He lives his life through you. If you go back and read the Gospels, you know what you'll find? Jesus lived a life of total satisfaction. The Bible says... (laughs) The Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. Do you know how much property Jesus owned when he was alive? Can anybody tell me? didn't own a thing. Can you tell me how many bank accounts that he had in his name? Anybody want to tell me? He didn't have one. He had nothing. Zero. Nada. Every bit of food he ate, somebody gave it to him. Every place he slept, somebody loaned it to. He even had to die on a borrowed cross. Did he ever complain? Did he ever gripe? Did he ever whine? For three years, 12 men lived with him, and every day, full of joy, totally at peace, completely satisfied. And here's what I'm telling you. Jesus lived a life of total satisfaction. And if that Jesus lives in you today and you love that Jesus, you can be satisfied in him as well. It's a lesson you can learn. It's a life you can live. It comes from a Lord that you love. See, here's our problem. Here's what it really all comes down to. You'll never be totally satisfied until your relationship with Jesus is more important than what's going on around you or what's happening to you. See, see, here's our problem. The things that we make primary in our life are our circumstances. Paul says, those are secondary. Paul says, you think what's important is what's going on around you. That's not what's important. What's going on around you is how you respond to what's going on around you. Hey, can I tell you something? I've already said it. I don't apologize. I'm not at all happy with the decision of the Supreme Court. I think they absolutely are wrong. I think they were wrong morally. I think they were wrong ethically. And I think they were wrong legally. I went back and read the 14th Amendment last night. You can't find anything about abortion or gay marriage there. It's just not there. Sorry, it ain't there. But my joy has not changed. My faith in God hasn't changed. My happiness in Jesus hasn't changed. I know God's going to work all things out together for his good. I know that Jesus is coming back. I know this world is under his authority. So I don't worry about, you know, am I upset? Am I brokenhearted? Am am I not, you know, don't like the decision? Absolutely. On the other hand, the moment that decision came down, here's what God said to the church. I'm not concerned with what happened. I knew what was going to happen before you did. How are you going to respond to it? Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to love people even more. I'm going to preach the word even harder. I'm going to share the gospel even more enthusiastically. Doesn't affect me. I want to live that life of complete and total satisfaction. And you will never be totally satisfied with where you are, no matter where you are. You'll never be totally satisfied with what you have, no matter what you have. You will only be totally satisfied with who you have if you have Jesus. The author of Hebrews put it this way. You keep your lives free from the love of money and be, what's that word? Content with what you have. Let me just stop right there. But what if I don't have any money? What if I'm dead broke? What if I can't find a job? How am I going to be content? How can you expect me to be content? Because, here's the reason, God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you you in other words if you've got God you've got all you need if you've got God and nothing else listen I've told you this before you look you you look at it this way there's only one person will ever be totally satisfied in this life okay and I can tell you who that is you know who it is the only person that will ever be totally satisfied in this life is the person that has everything I mean, that makes sense, right? It stands to reason, if you have, let's just pretend we had everything. I mean, not just financially, I mean, everything you can imagine. Let's suppose you had everything. Well, if you've got everything, then you don't need anything, and you don't want anything. And if you don't want anything, you don't need anything, then you are completely satisfied. It would be impossible to be dissatisfied if you've got all you want, and if you've got all you need. Because the person that's dissatisfied is the person that says, There's something I want that I don't have, or there's something that I need that I don't have. Well, I said it to you before, and I'll say it again. If you have everything without Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have nothing with Jesus, you have everything. So you see, Paul said, you take all those times when (laughs) I didn't have a dime. You take all those times I was chained in prison. You take all those times I was floating on the sea not wondering if I was gonna live or die. You take all those times when I was totally isolated, no friends, no family. Take all those times I had no food, I was hungry. All those times I had no water, I was thirsty. Even take all those times when I was sick and shaking with the fever. I still had Jesus and if I've got Jesus, I don't need anything I don't want anything I am totally satisfied so let me wrap all this up Jesus Christ came to this planet and he lived a satisfied life Jesus Christ went to a cross and he died a satisfied death Jesus Christ came out of that tomb and he was raised a satisfied Lord and anything that he commands me to do I can't do no Contrary to what some people say on TV today, sorry, you can't do everything you want to do, but you can do everything you ought to do, and the one thing that we should do is no matter the situation, no matter the location, we should always be totally satisfied when Jesus is glorified in us. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed, let me just tell some of you this this truth.